Um, good to see you all this morning. Good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Um, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First John as we continue our study through the book. I trust that it's been a blessing to you as it has been a blessing to me in the process of studying each, each week and preparing and uh, getting ready for the sermon. And uh, God has done a work with this um, book in my life, not just through this study, but, but you know, just in life in general. These uh, passages of Scripture, as we come to understand them uh, deeper and understand the truths that are there and what's meant for us to enjoy and appreciate, um, and we grow by these things. We were reminded last week, and uh, if you take some time to, to just look over, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, verse 12 down to verse number 17, uh, what John does is he describes this, uh, the importance of loving God, and he writes about the alternative to loving God, or, or really one of the main obstacles to loving God is loving this world. And so Satan throws out a lot of different things at us to um, really to to take the place of our love for God and, and, and in essence interfere with that love for God and, and replace it with not necessarily a love for him, um, the devil, but, but, but a love for something other than God. And I would say that the devil uses really two things to motivate us away from loving God. One is loving self, which really is what Satan is, is all about, right? The uh, Bible says that he wanted to be like God, he loved himself and wanted to be exalted, and then a love for things. And so we kind of um, have the tendency in our nature to follow or to fall prey to those two attacks and those two temptations. Like Paul's writings in general, if you study Paul, or not Paul, John, if you study John's writings in general, what you find is you find a, a consistent theme whether you're talking about his books or you're talking about within his books, uh, John writes and he gives instruction like we see about verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. He gives instruction. And then in the following passage of scripture, which we'll focus on this morning, he, he, he escalates it. He brings some urgency to it. Okay. He, he makes it matter. You, you, you've, You've, you've been in that situation before where you've told your kids to do something, you've given them instruction, you've given them some kind of a warning uh, about a, a direction or a path of life, and you follow that up with some type, of a, uh, some type of a way for which that becomes urgent to them, it becomes a reality to them. And if it's not a reality to them, then they will not take it seriously and ultimately they um, follow down the path that you're trying to keep them from following down. And so John does that here when he writes about the urgency of falling in love with the Lord and not loving this world or avoiding loving the world. So if you will read with me, beginning in verse 18, John says, children, it is the last hour and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming and now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, 
and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in, the, in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that we have. Uh, this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. And so John stops there, and, and, and I want to unpack this portion of Scripture. We'll, we'll remember that the main theme of the book of uh, 1 John is to bring assurance, to, uh, to confirm a group of believers who have just gone through a difficult time and perhaps are even questioning their faith. John is writing to them to confirm that you, in essence, you are the children of God. You are, you are God's children, and because you are God's children, there, there are certain benefits to that. Now, in doing that, he also exposes the fact that there are false converts, people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are not necessarily followers of Jesus Christ. And this is where the urgency comes in in determining whether or not I'm a follower of Christ or whether or not I'm a, perhaps a false convert. And what we believe really determines that. What we believe about Jesus Christ, and this is why John writes about those who deny Christ, deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, those who deny certain characteristics of Christ are false converts, and those who trust him and follow him, these are the ones who are true believers. The Bible tells us in Joshua, back in the Old Testament, you'll remember as Joshua writes about uh, to the children of Israel in chapter 24, he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that your fathers served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites of whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua gives us this, again, he places the same urgency to the children of Israel to make a decision, to determine what direction that you're going in, determine who you're following, determine who you love. Uh, don't live in this unsure state of the Christian life which clings to loving the world and, and claiming to love God, the pursuing after the things of the world while claiming to pursue after the things of God. James warns us about that, that a, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and he should expect nothing from the Lord. So it's important, as John brings to the forefront, it's important that we understand that we need to make a decision. We need to determine in our hearts and in our minds what direction are we going in? Who are we following after? Who do we, who do we love? Who are we committed to? What, what do we trust? These are very important questions because these not only determine who we are spiritually, where we're going eternally, but they also decide for us what our purpose is here in this life. If we lose sight of who we're following and who we love and what we're about, we lose sight of why we're here. And when we lose sight of why we're here, we get caught up in all of these other little things. It's like Paul told Timothy that those who have been enlisted by the Lord do not entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. In other words, they do not become entangled with the, the, the things of this world. We need to make a decision. 
We need to make a, a direction. We need to determine where we're going and why we're going there. We need to determine whether or not we're God's children, whether or not we're in love with him or we're in love with self. I will submit to you that there's a number of religious denominations, religious people who follow Jesus just simply because they love themselves. And it's not about loving God, but it's about loving self. And they've been trained or taught that being religious or being Christian is really the wise or smart or intellectual or strong thing to do. But is it truly a love for God and a love for Jesus? Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you might be disqualified. John writes this entire book to bring this assurance, to bring this confidence, to, to elevate their, their, their confidence in Christ and what he has done for them. And in doing so, he lays out a few things that we need to be cautious about this morning. So I want to give you these three things. If you're taking notes <clears throat> You can write these three things down and we'll just go, we're going to unpack them. And again, remember the issue is settling in your heart who you follow, who you love. And uh, I'm just going to stop for just a moment. Am, am, I, am I ringing a little bit too? Am I, am I, am I good? I sound like I'm kind of going, going up and down. Good. I'm not. My hearing maybe is going up and down. <laughs> Check my hearing aids out. Um, I want to give you three things this morning that John, John lays out for us. And I, I think these things are important, uh, obviously, because John decided to write about them under the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but in addition to that, in our day and age today, in the culture that we live in, these things are very relevant. Um, these things matter. And we, we live in a day and age where people are, some people are super, super confident that they are Christians and they're not following the Lord and they don't love the Lord. And some people love the Lord, they're following the Lord, they're pursuing the Lord, and they have no confidence. We need, to find that, we need to find that middle road where those who are truly following the Lord with passion, they love the Lord, and it's obvious that they are confident in what he has done for them. And those who do not, are not following the Lord, who do not love the Lord in a, in a true way, that they come to realize that, that they, need to, they need to be saved. They need to come to realize that there's, not, there's no salvation in them. And they need to make a decision. They need to make a choice. And, and, I, and I don't say that flippantly because I'm, I'm not a, a decisionism type of Christian. I don't believe that Christianity takes place because we make a decision. But at the same time, there is a decision to be made. And Christ has to develop within our hearts a passion for those things. Um, I remember recently reading an article where the comment was this. People can choose to do the right thing, but they can't choose to desire to do the right thing. In other words, the desires of our heart have to be something that's placed there by the Lord. God is the only one that can change our hearts. You, we can't even change our own hearts. We can choose to do certain things. We could choose to be at church this morning, but there's a difference between choosing to be here and wanting to be here. Right? 
If you have kids, you know exactly what the difference is. And if you were a kid at one time, you know exactly what the difference is. There's a difference between wanting to love the Lord, wanting to follow the Lord, wanting to do right, and doing it because there's certain requirements and expectations on you. So let's look at these three things. The first reason why it's important and urgent that we, we, that we, we settle this in our hearts, we settle in our hearts who we are following, who we love. Number one, it's because we have a declining condition. John uses the word to begin this text, the word children. We've actually seen this term used throughout John's writing, and he uses it, he uses it, he uses two different Greek words, and he translates, they're both translated children or little children in the book of John. And he's describing two things. Number one, he's describing children as being those who are a part of God's family. And so we can start off by looking at this and saying, John is writing to believers. He's writing to those who are who are Christians, followers of Christ, to, to settle that in our hearts. Even though we might be at a state spiritually where we're, we're infants or we're declining or we're, um, we're not strong that day or that moment, take confidence in the fact that John calls them in this text children. He, he writes to them as if they were followers of Jesus Christ. And I think there's some, some uh, he, he talks about that in chapter number three that uh, how God has loved us and he's made us his children. But in addition to that, John really, the implication of this Greek term is meant to describe to us the fact that these believers, their discernment, their, their, uh, their knowledge of God, their passion for God is slowly declining. And so what John says is that in, in a culture, in a generation where we're declining spiritually, where we're declining when it comes to knowledge of God's word, a knowledge of God, when we're, de- when we're infants or children, when it comes to our spiritual condition, it's very important that we get this area settled, that we are children of God. That we are a part of his family. And, and again, in the culture that we live in, this, this is, we're becoming less and less discerning about the things of God, the things that are in God's word, relationship with God, who God is, what Jesus Christ has done for us, who Jesus Christ is. We're becoming less and less discerning about these things. Therefore, we're more and more vulnerable to the attacks that Satan's going to place on us. The world is a place today where Christians are discouraged, where Christians are frail, they're fearful, they're unsure, they lack discernment, they're, they're um, not full of faith and belief in what the Lord is doing. The world is full of people like this. This is the state that and we're, not, we're not moving into greater strength, but we're moving into a more childlike state where we're not confident in the Lord. This is why we need to settle this. We know three groups that this can apply to when we talk about being uh, the, the book of John in general. This can apply to false converts, those who are not in the faith but believe they are. The Bible tells us if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Scripture says in verse number one, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works as of faith towards God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to whom their own uh, harm and holding him up to contempt. These are those who have experienced the work of God, not in a personal way, but perhaps in a congregational way. Perhaps they have been a part of a church where they've seen God move and God work. Maybe they've had a friend or a loved one who've experienced the power of God in their life. And so, so kind of indirectly, these people have experienced God's work in their life, but it's never been personal to them. And so th- through this external experience of God's work in their life, they, they know what it's like, they've seen it, they've, they've seen it perhaps in his word, and then they ultimately fall away from grace, they fall away from God and follow after sinful things. The Bible says it's, it's impossible for them to re- be restored to repentance. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 4, you, are, you, are, you have been severed from Christ, who you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. This is a term that's used in many different passages of Scripture to describe a people who were not converts but claimed to be, even perhaps had a a time or a season in which they were seemingly following Christ but ultimately fell away from grace in the Lord. Matthew 13 talks about the different soils. The, the seed falls into the soil, and some of those seed, they bear seasonal fruits, or they, they seem to have life, but they die away. And only that last seed, that soil that is fresh and ready and, and it receives the Holy Spirit or, or receives the truth, the Word of God, and, and it bears fruit, and some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30-fold. But the fruit that is there is what matters. So there are some who are claiming to be in grace that are not. There are also those who are young believers who are just simply, they, they lack discernment. Galatians chapter number one, if you want to turn there with me, you're likely familiar with this text. The Bible says in verse number six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And I stop there, you can read on if you'd like to, but, but again, these are people who have accepted the Lord, they have experienced the power of God personally, but, they have, but they're struggling with the grace of God for daily life. They're struggling in dependence on following Christ, depending on Christ, uh, living in the power of Christ each and every day of their lives. And the grace of God is not just something that we experience at salvation, but it's something that we experience each and every single day of our lives. Uh, John Piper once said that if it weren't for the grace of God to cause me to believe in Christ today, I would not. And that is so true. It's not the grace of God that just that saves us one day, but it's the grace of God that causes us to continue to live in that faith. And every morning that we wake up, God, every morning, every night that we sleep, everything that we do is built around God's grace in sustaining us and saving us and in treasuring us as his own children. There are, some, there are some 
who struggle with living in that grace, living out that grace. And then there's another group of people who are mature believers. These are those who are weary. Maybe you're here this morning and you fall into this children category not because you're a youthful not because you're a youthful Christian and you're just not experienced and maybe not because you're a false convert but maybe because you're a weary convert. You're one of those people who has been saved for a number of a number of years but you've just become weary. And in your weariness, you become like a child because you don't want to fight anymore. You don't want to battle anymore. You don't want to stand anymore. And sometimes if you, as you study, even, even as people get older and they get older and older in their years, some of their habits of childhood begin to come back to them, don't they? The same thing happens to us spiritually. Sometimes we can become childlike even though we've been saved for years and years and years. We become childlike in our Christianity. And maybe you're one that's here this morning and you're that child in 1 John and you're, you're not a false convert and you're not a new believer, but you're someone who has weathered the storm. But now you're a child. Now you're, now you're no longer persevering. You're no longer battling. You've lost, you've lost the will to fight. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And the same term here is used, the idea of falling away from grace. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up that causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know, one of the greatest challenges to elderly, older Christians becoming like children is, is this idea of bitterness. And maybe not bitterness, but it's something in our lives that causes us to be childlike in, in how we look at the faith and ultimately moves us away from that battle that we must face. We're in a generation, we're, we're living in a generation of, uh, of Christians where, where morally, emotionally, um, with, in regards to perseverance, we're continuously declining and we're being attacked in these ways. So the first thing that we look at is the fact that we're declining in our condition, spiritual condition, the Lord says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, he says that in the last days, uh, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of things. They'll be unthankful. And, and you can read the whole list. And at the end of the list, it says that they will have a form of godliness, right? But they will deny its very power. This is the decline of our stability in the Christian life. So why do we need to settle this? First of all, because we're in a culture that is declining spiritually. The second reason that John gives us, if we go back to our text, is this. He says, children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. What John is describing is the fact that we're, we're, we're counting down. We're, we're moving towards the end. Time, time is running out. The, the, we're, in the, we're in the 11th hour or the 12th hour of the day of, of, our, of our world. Mo most of us believe that to be a reality. If we look around us and we see what the Lord says in Matthew 24 and 25 about what the last days are going to look like, we, we realize the fact that we are in the last days. That the Lord's return and the Lord's establishment of his kingdom and the, and the rapture of the church and all of those things could take place at any point in time. 
We realize that. We, we recognize that. And, and, and time is ticking away. And there are people who sit in churches on Sunday morning and they, they just think we have all the time in the world. We'll settle that later. We'll take care of that later. I don't really know if I love the Lord or if I love myself or if I love the world, but I'll take care of that later. And we don't realize that time is running out. The clock is ticking. And you've heard that for years, right? We're weary of hearing that, aren't we? You know what Matthew 20, I believe it's 24 or 25 says? That there are two servants in the same house. One gets weary of waiting for his master's return and he begins to abuse his fellow mates and begins to get drunk and have parties and, and give himself to this world. But when the master does recur, return, he, the Bible says he, he cuts them in pieces and casts them away. And the one servant who remains faithful is blessed. The Bible, you go back to the time of Moses, when Moses went on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. You know what happened to the children? He wasn't gone that long. But you know what the children of Israel decided? He's not, he's not coming back. Because he's not coming back, we need to figure out another way. We need to figure out another God. What did they do? They made a golden calf. Listen, folks, we are. Time is. Time is dwindling. Time, as, John, as John says here, it is the last hour. John doesn't only write about the last hour in this text, but he writes the whole book of Revelation. In the very end, he says, the Lord is coming quickly or soon. And this was thousands of years ago. This is the last hour. This can mean one of two things. It can, mean, it can relate to time or it can relate to opportunity. It means the final hour, the final opportunity, the last hour, or the last opportunity. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We need to settle this thing. Not settle the thing of, yes, I said a prayer when I was a young child, or yes, I did this, or yes, I did that, but settle the thing of, do I love the Lord? Do I love Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ the essence of my life? Do I find do I find purpose and, 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 and comfort and confidence in Jesus Christ? Or do I find it in other things? Paul says these things in his letters. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, he says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Romans 13, verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from your sleep, for your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. If you read in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes and talks about the fact that, the, that we know we're not in darkness. The Lord's return is, is going to be like a thief, but, but we don't live in darkness. We can be prepared for his return. We can not only be prepared for his return, but as Paul writes to Timothy, the Bible says we can, we can look forward to, we can enjoy his return. Why should we be thinking of this in an urgent way? Why does it matter who we love? Why does it matter who we spend our life serving? Why do these things matter? Because folks, we're in a declining culture spiritually and because the countdown is coming close to the end. You may doubt that, you may struggle with that this morning. It may not be on the top of your radar. But you know something? It's, the Lord talks about, when it, when it talks about in the days of Noah, so, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the one thing about the days of Noah is, is that the people who were not in the ark, 
did not expect the flood until what? Until after the doors were shut. So we can live in this, we can live in this lie that it's not going to happen. We can, we can live in believing that, that the things that God warns us about are not going to happen. But listen to us, folks. Listen to me. It is going to happen. Everything that God has written about, everything that God has promised, and everything that God has warned us about is going to happen. And not only that, but we're 2,000 years closer to it happening today than when he wrote about it. Yes, it does seem almost impossible for it to still come true, but it's not. It is going to happen. The prophecies of scriptures make that very, very clear. So number one, the condition is declining. Number two, we're in a countdown. Number three, listen to what he says here. He says, we have heard that Antichrist is coming. And we've heard that before. The Bible says in the book of Thessalonians, and also Revelation, the Bible talks about the Antichrist coming on the scene and, and him having a, a certain authority that's delegated to him by God to, to really to, to lead um, into error and then to bring destruction to the earth. Here's what the Bible tells us in this text. The Antichrist is not coming. The Antichrist is here. Not just the Antichrist is here, but the scripture tells us here that there are many Antichrists. There is an Antichrist coming. There is a central figure, a person that is going to be on the scene that is going to wreak havoc on this world with, in, in his deception. I believe that to be true. The Bible teaches that. However, we need to know this. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here today. It dwells amongst us. Here's what, here's what John says. Here's the reason how we can know that we're in the last days. Because there are many Antichrists. In other words, the more Antichrist come into our world and our culture defines for us that we're in the last days. It, it proves to us, it's evidence to us that we're in the last days. Someone once said, a preacher once said that he believed that every generation has an Antichrist waiting for the Lord's approval through which Satan can then empower and he can do what he needs to do. John says that there are many antichrists. There are those who are opposed to Christ. So we have, an, we have thirdly, the third reason why we need to settle this thing in our hearts is because there is an increasing deception in our world today. There is increasing deception in our world today. Folks, you, you, we don't have to look far to see this happening. I know in my own, in my own spiritual life, in my own spiritual growth and, and, and maybe decline in some ways, that there are things that are happening around us, even amongst good, solid evangelicals, that we sit back and we say, wow, is that true? And there's, an, a major, there's a major deception going on in our world today amongst, we are such a confused people. This is why he says to settle it in your heart. 
This is why John says this is important that it gets settled because there are so many false teachers out there. There are so many false prophets out there that, that are spewing all these different things. And, and we stop and we, and we say, I don't really know what truth is anymore. For many of us folks, if we were honest with ourselves, that would be our answer. I don't really know what truth is anymore. And do we honestly think that the next generation is going to be more spiritual than we are? That they're somehow growing in the knowledge of God's word greater than we did? And the generation before us, do you think that they were, well, I don't even have to ask the question, they were far more committed to the study of God's word and prayer. There's a great deception going on in our culture today by many antichrists deceiving us and causing confusion about the things of God and who God is. Let's read, let's read the text here, look at a few things very quickly. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might not, they might become plain if they were not of us. The, the first thing that we see about the antichrist is his lack of loyalty, his lack of commitment, his lack of being willing to work through different doctrinal issues, Okay? This antichrist that he defines here is one who was a part of the body, sowed discord, sowed problems, and then did what? And then left the body. Wasn't committed. Listen, didn't care about the people that were there. It's easy to become committed to self and, and then try to manipulate and get a following and then leave. It's totally different to care about the people and to care about the truth. And being, be willing to fight through and to work through and to, to um, study through issues and differences. It's almost like the issue of the Sabbath, where they were debating over the Sabbath, and the Lord said to them, Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. It went out from us, they were not of us. He goes on and says, I write to you not because you, know, because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The second thing that we see about the Antichrist, the deception that's going on in the world, is they deny Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Okay? And, and I, want, I, want you to, I want you to understand this. This does not mean that they deny Jesus Christ as a person. It does not mean that they deny Jesus Christ as being a good prophet or a good man or perhaps even perfect but there's something about Christ Jesus presented in his word that they deny right remember in 1 John what was it they denied about Jesus that he was not fully he was not fully man it was impossible for him to be fully man because man was bad so even though they could hold to all of these other things about Jesus there's something about him that they refuse to accept and acknowledge. And that is the Antichrist. How, what, what does that mean to us? It, it, it means this. If we're going to follow Christ, we don't get to decide which Christ we follow. We follow the Christ of the Bible. He's already been, he, he's a person. His character and nature has already been determined. Whether we follow him or not is what is still yet to be decided. He is a, the devil is a liar. He denies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. This is the Antichrist. He says, he who denies the Father and the Son, 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that we have made, he, that he made to us. I want to close with these last few thoughts. And, and know this, that the deception that we have in our world today, the, the deception that we have spiritually going on, the, the anti-Christ, plural, um, there, it's, a, it's a massive movement. There are so many... You can watch TV, you can go on the internet, you, you can really find whatever you want to find when it comes to spiritual things. You, you can. You can find whatever you want to believe, you can find it somewhere. There's this massive deception. And, 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 I'll, and I'll go, um, for definition's sake, there's a, a massive confusion as to what is truth and what is not truth. And that's where the devil is infiltrating the church. We have to be on guard that from that so the last thing is is there's a conquering there's a conquering we started with the fact that there is a there is a condition that is not good or declining we started we have a countdown we have deceptive communication and then we have a conquering how, how do we win in this and John just gives us a simple formula he says number one but you have been anointed with the Holy One and you have all knowledge. The first way in which we overcome this great deception is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And, and remember this, the Holy Spirit's job, according to John 14 through 16, is to teach us the Word. The Holy Spirit doesn't function outside of the Word. People who claim to be moved by the Spirit, the Spirit of God told them something, when, it, when it's not connected to or directly out of the Word of God, are a part of, remember this, they are a part of the deception. They are a part of the deception. There is nothing foundational or fundamental about me telling you that God told me something. There is something foundational or fundamental about this book. And so when the Spirit of God functions through me, he teaches me what's in this book. So I, therefore, I have, to be in this, I have to be in this book. I have to be studying the Word of God in dependence on, listen, not in dependence on a commentary. I, I use commentaries, praise the Lord, right? But not in dependence on a commentary, your goal in reading the Word of God is not to believe what some other man believes about the Word of God. It's not in dependence on your pastor's preaching on Sunday. Many of us folks have just simply laid our armor down and said, I just accept what they tell me. That is dangerous. What happens when somebody knocks on your door that's more convincing than me? Right? What happens then? You're moved down this path. And listen, there are, the, the devil is not, a, the devil is not a, a uh, he's a good deceiver. The people that he's going to send out in this world are going to be persuasive. They're going to be smart. They're going to move you away from the truth just subtly. And you know what it is today? It, 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 it is this. Just accept what we say. 
And, and you know what? He might do it with a preacher that gets up and preaches purely what the word of God says, 100%. But he'll get you to accept what that preacher says. And then what he'll do is he'll move a preacher into your world that doesn't preach what the word of God says 100%. But you know what you've been convinced of? Trusting the preacher. Or you'll read a book. You know how many, how many of us are swayed theologically by books that we read? You'll read a book. Oh my goodness. And we're swayed by that book. And all of a sudden we start trusting in. Here's what he says. The answers come from the word of God. And the interpretation of the word of God comes from? Comes from the Holy Spirit. He is your teacher. Now, does it mean don't listen to history, don't listen to other men, but every one of them, don't even listen to experience, every one of them has to be subject to the Word of God and subject to the Holy Spirit of God. He truly is your only teacher. He doesn't stop there, but watch, he says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge what knowledge do you think he's referring to here? Do you think he's talking about the fact that they're all intellectual? Biblical knowledge. True knowledge. He goes on. He says, let what you heard from the beginning. What's he talking about? Biblical knowledge. Truth. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you, dwell in you, like John 15 abides in you. And what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. How do we win? How do we win with so much deception? How do we win with so much of a decline spiritually where there is no discernment anymore? People don't know what right is. People don't know what wrong is. How do we win if today is the last day that we exist on the face of the earth? How do we win? We win by being in God's word. It is the only thing that we have that is sure. It is the only thing that we have that we know 100% is true. If you're like me, I'm a parent who makes mistakes. My kids will tell you that, oh, that I do it a lot. Right, guys? This is a time that you can shake your head. Yes. You know what? When I make mistakes, I go to my kids and I tell them I was wrong. I told you the wrong thing. I remember teaching my kids how to shoot the basketball, right? And it's like one, they came to me one time, I don't remember when it was, but they're like, Dad, you're telling us the opposite of what you told us a couple of weeks ago. It's like, I know. <laughs> I'm learning too, right? The Word of God never does that. It never fails. And it, it will strengthen us in times of weakness it doesn't matter what time the clock is. This book is true and accurate no matter when we find our strength and truth from it. And no matter how much deception there is in this world, if you will be in the word of God, it will bring stability and it will settle your hearts in the areas that they need to be settled in. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, I read it to you earlier. The Bible says this, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and, then, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
I encourage you this morning, settle this in your heart. Who are you following this morning? Who, who are you in love with? Because it is possible that in your infancy as a Christian, you have been swayed away from the truth. Who are you following and who are you loving this morning? Because it's possible that we're in the last hour. Who are you following and who are you loving this morning? Because it's likely that there is a deceiver in your world and in mine that is trying to move us away from the truth. And what must we do? We must trust in his word and lean on his spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You've given us the answer. You've given us the, the warning, the, the challenge, and you've given us the answer. If we can just simply rest in you, rest in the fullness of your grace and the greatness of your word and the indwelling power of your spirit. We pray that you will just bless this morning. Let your word not return void. Be glorified in you through it. In Christ's name.